Well, good morning. We, we, we got it going. Thank you, Alan. Um, as we get things going this morning, Alan and Heather kind of at the last minute last night had to uh, kind of prepare for today and just all the changes that were going on. In fact, their whole family's up here making this happen. And uh, so we're thankful for that. As we get started, a couple of weeks ago, or we had talked about, about the blessed life. And I've been very interested as I've been thinking about a lot about life and just even things that God has done in my life even as I walked into 2021. You know, when 2020 ended, I kind of celebrated and go, hey, we gotta have a new year, things gotta be going good. And if you know anything about what's happened to me over the last six weeks, um, um, it, it, 2021 hasn't started off all that great for me, right? But nothing's changed in, in who I am as a Christ follower, as, as someone who seeks God. And the blessedness of life hasn't changed for me. I stand here today because the, the life that, that I desire, I find in the words of my God. I find in the strength of who he is. I find it in his compassion and his mercy and his grace. And the blessed life that we so much desire is found there. And we, we looked at that in Psalm 1. And in Psalm 1, it told us that the blessed is the person who delights himself in the, in the law of God. We're in the instruction of God and meditates on it day and night. We saw last week when we looked in Proverbs chapter 3. And we saw blessed is the one where the, the, the person who finds who finds wisdom. You see, that's what God's word is. God's instructions, God's directions towards us is wisdom. And it tells us at the end of it, it said, those who hold fast to wisdom are called blessed. And it was a bookend where, whereby the, that in that scripture, in that passage of Proverbs chapter three, verses 13 to 18, whereby it started with blessed and it ended with blessed because God was teaching us of the blessedness of wisdom and the worth of wisdom. The, the wisdom to, to find it, to get wisdom of it because there was great worth. And that really in wisdom, in God's instructions, in God's teaching for us, that's where blessedness is. So many times we, we pursue life and we think there's blessing in the things that we have, the vacations we take, the homes we build, and the jobs and the, and the accomplishments that we have. We think that's where blessedness is. And God says that, that the blessed life is found in the one who delights in his instruction, the one who, who finds and gets wisdom, that gets his understanding. That's where the blessed life is. And so one of the things I begin to ask myself as I thought as I've been thinking through these passages, as I've been thinking through some of the wisdom literature that we have in the scriptures, well, how do I get wisdom? And I think in Proverbs chapter one, Proverbs chapter nine, uh, there's a couple of passages that gives us some insight. So if you will, take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter one. And I wanna look at verse seven, just to kind of get started. That'll, that's really kind of the theme of Proverbs. So if you will, turn to Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. It's a simple passage. It's a theme of, of, the, of the book in my, in my thought. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we were to look over in chapter nine, and I believe verse 10, it would say the beginning of, of uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the same idea, this aspect of whereby I gather information. I understand the, 
the, the teachings of God and how it applies to my life, that it begins with a fear of the Lord. In fact, uh, John Murray quoted and said, he said, the highest reaches of sanctification, when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about our spiritual growth here on earth, that as we grow in Christ and we become more and more like Christ, that as we set ourselves apart unto Christ, it's a work of God that is taking place within us, that he is setting us apart and we're becoming more and more like Christ. John Murray says the higher, highest reaches of sanctification are realized only in the fear of the Lord. And that's an amazing statement. What he's saying is that if you want to grow spiritually in your life, you want to become more and more like Christ. You want to, you want to grow in your faith and the understanding of who God is and how God works in your life, that the only way to grow spiritually is through an understanding of the fear of God. I went, wow, I began to think about that. And I was like, you know, if you think about it, if you remove the fear of God from our lives as, as believers, as God's people, then how do, how do we grow in Christ? It becomes me becoming the teacher, the instructor in the development of spiritual growth and what I think it should look like in my life. And this is very popular in our culture today. For I know what's best for me is what we often hear. I know what, what spiritual growth is. And we, we kind of almost kind of read God's word depending on how we fit into what we think we understand. But that isn't true. God has already laid it out in his word. He's laid it out in his text. And he's told us if we're going to really be able to understand wisdom, if we're going to understand knowledge, it begins with a fear of him. A fear of God. If we have no fear, there's no wisdom. In fact, as I've thought about this today, you know, this, this week, especially the last couple of weeks, in fact, I was really going to preach this message six weeks ago. And I think a couple of days before that I, uh, is when I found out I had COVID. And then here I am, I'm going to preach it this Sunday, and God brought in a, a blizzard so we, or a winter storm. So I don't know. I really believe there's some truth to what we're talking about today and that God's people really need to hear about the fear of the Lord. And I begin to ask the question, well, what do we mean by the fear of the Lord? A lot of times, you know, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we immediately adjust that word fear. It's not, it's not retribution, it's, a, it's an awe of God. And we use these terms of, of what we're talking about. And, and we just wanna make sure that people understand it's not this crushing fear that, we're, that we so many times, in fact, when we hear the word fear, we almost always, uh, add to it kind of a connotation of, of not good. It's not a good thing to fear. But yet when we look at this word in the scriptures, this idea of fear of the Lord, we find out that it's very important for us in our spiritual growth. In fact, when you look in Proverbs 1.7, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That word beginning is an interesting word. The word literally means when you look at it is essence or chief part, that the fear of the Lord is the essence of wisdom. That it's the chief part of knowledge. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you don't have wisdom. Wisdom does not something that we find laying about and we just pick it up. Wisdom is something that we get from God and it begins with a proper understanding of who he is and who we are. 
It's an understanding of, of what fear of the Lord is. In fact, this word fear is used oftentimes to describe, we use it to describe awe or reverence or, or kind of an aspect of not fear of being, being punished. But if you looked at 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 28, this same word is used here. And it's used in the idea of awe. It's where Solomon exercised wisdom when these two mothers were saying this child was theirs. And Solomon said, well, cut it in two. Give each one a half. And the, and the one says, no, no, give the baby. And then he knew that was the mother. And it says in the text there in 1 Kings, it says that, that, that the nation of Israel stood in awe at the wisdom of Solomon that he, that he, that he had shown. That they were, there was this idea whereby they saw his, his wisdom and they were in awe of it. I think of it like when I used to go backpacking. I think of this one particular trip where we were just in a line stepping in the person in front of you. We were taking turns leading because we were climbing a pretty large peak. And I remember at one point, all of a sudden, the guy in front of me turns and, and I went, whoa, because there was just kind of a cliff over there. And it was beautiful. It was just amazing. There was other mountains and there was this valley and there was a lake over here. And you know, I, we just all kind of sat down and took it in because we just sat there in kind of awe of what God had created. It was so beautiful. It was majestic. Some of the most beautiful sights in my life that I've ever seen are in the mountains. And just to me, to see God's hand. And I stand in awe of what he had done. And so that's, that was one way in which this was, word was used. But it was also used in Jonah 1.10. It's where Jonah's running from God and he gets on this boat and this, this storm comes in and it's crashing against, against the boat and, and the sailors are, are afraid and that's the word it uses, afraid. They're fearing and they grew afraid because they asked Jonah, because a lot fell on him. They asked him, what is going on? And he tells them, I'm running from God, basically. And they're like, what are you doing? I mean, it's literally in the text. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you running from God? Because they were afraid. There was a, a fear of God of what he was doing. And they eventually throw him over the, over the, over the side and, and the seas went still. There's that aspect where when we talk about fear, again, we often think of it as, as not good. Any fear isn't good, but, but there is a healthy fear. As when I found, when we walked up on that cliff and, and as we sat down and we had an awe, we, we weren't joking because there was still this cliff there. There was a healthy fear of that cliff that, that we could step off or we could fall off. We were still being careful. There's a healthy fear when in my house, I've been doing some remodeling and had to do some repainting. Well, all of a sudden the beige light switches and light plates didn't fit, so I had to change those out. Well, I had a healthy fear of the electricity. I make, I make sure the power is off. I have a little tester because I have a healthy fear of that electricity where I don't go walking for a stroll out on I-20 because I have a fear of being hit by a car. There is a healthy fear in our lives, and there's this idea whereby we acknowledge who God is and we recognize who he is. I often think of my dad when I was a kid, and I was one of those kids that liked to talk. I was always getting in trouble in school for talking and disrupting the class. And, and so when I'd be out with friends where we go somewhere, I'd be sitting there and getting things going, rambunctious. And all of a sudden, I look across the room, and there was my dad. And you know what he had? He had that look, that look that said, stop. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't ask to whisper anything. He didn't have to, you know, do any kind of, like, you know, motions. He just looked at me. He had that look. And I would stop. 
because I had a healthy fear of my dad, but I didn't ever doubt his love for me. I understood that the boundaries he put in my life were for my good, that he loved me. And there's things in God's word that he begins to instruct us and he teaches us. And we need to be aware of those things. We need to be aware of those instructions. That's the beginning of wisdom. And as we recognize him and as we have awe of who he is, as we understand a healthy fear. But also this word is also used as is the idea of reverence. In fact, it's in Leviticus, Leviticus 19 and verse 3 where it talks about where God is telling Moses to give instruction to the people of Israel and he tells them to revere their mother and their father, to have a, have a proper understanding, a deep respect is really the idea, and to have a deep respect towards them. When we talk about reverence, I think reverence kind of brings out that idea of awe and it brings out that idea of a, of a healthy fear but we don't use that word very often in our culture anymore. Because, you know, I started thinking about it. We don't revere things. We've moved as a culture into to really looking at ourselves and thinking from ourselves is where, where success comes from, our, our, our abilities come from, and that we focus in on ourselves and we don't show much reverence for other things. And if we do that, we lose a reverence for who God is. You see, when we talk about reverence, it involves humbling ourselves. It's a respectful recognition of someone greater than ourselves. In this case, it's God, that we have a respect for who God is and a reverence for who he is. And when I begin to think about this, when you think about awe, awe is kind of passive. You kind of stand back and you kind of see the, the beauty of it and the wonder. But when you talk about reverence, Reverence actually is more associated with kind of an active engagement, a responsibility towards the one who's being, re, who's being revered. So like when I think of my parents, when I showed them reverence or I revered them, I, I recognized that I listened to the words of my father and the words of my mother. I, I obeyed them. I honored them. I, I gave them deep respect. And when we talk about that, in light of who God is, it's, it means that we begin to honor him in our lives. We acknowledge him in our ways. It involves us showing a deep respect for who God is. And it acts itself out or expresses its, its, itself in worship and submitting to his ways and to his instructions. We don't like terms like obedience, but every parent wants obedience from their children because it's a response to our parents. It's a response to our God as we submit ourselves to his, his ways and his purposes and his instruction in our life. It demonstrates worship of who he, of who he is. Murray also <clears throat> had this quote as well. Well, I might have went too far. I'll let it go. <clears throat> anyway, sorry about that. To truly love God, there needs, we must have a reverence for him as well. Um, in fact, when we, let me see. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry here. I kind of got, there it is. 
It says the fear of God in which godliness consists is a fear which constrains, compels, or powerfully produces adoration and love. It is the fear which consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship, and all of these on the highest level of exercise. In other words, in other words, as I begin to recognize God and I have a deep respect, I also have a truly love and adoration for who God is. The fear of the Lord begins to be seen in our lives as we're filled with honor towards him, as we worship him. It isn't just coming in today and, you know, like if we were meeting here and sitting here and going, I did my duty. It isn't turning on the TV and wrapping ourselves up and being warm and then just saying, well, I did my duty. When we understand what God is and who he is, it impacts us, it changes our lives, it changes the way we think, and it changes the way we live. That we become filled with honor and respect and reverence for a holy God from everlasting to everlasting, full of majesty and glory. There is no one like him. And if you believe that, how can you not honor him? How could you not have a fear for him. When you see him and everything in him in you changes. You think, of, you think of Ananias and Sapphira, remember? When they sold the land and they came in, we, we sold it for this much when they really sold it for this much. They had lied. And in the, in the moment they dropped dead, and it says of the text of the church that, they, that there was fear among the whole church because in that moment they realized how holy their God is. You realize how holy your God is. Or you remember when, when, when Peter was, they were fishing and God told them, Jesus told them to drop the nets over. And oh, we've been fishing all night. And they pull the nets up and the boat's filled. And Peter falls on his face, on his face, full of reverence, full of a fear of the Lord. And he tells Jesus, he says, oh, get away from me. I am not worthy. Because in that moment, when his heart was filled with who Jesus was, when his heart was filled with reverence, when his heart was filled with the fear of the Lord, he understood that Jesus was the Holy One of God, that he was God. And there was nothing he could do but fall flat on his face in recognition of who he was and is. See, there's no spiritual growth without a fear of the Lord. When's the last time that You've been so filled and with awe and wonder and with reverence that you just dropped on your face before a holy God. In the last few days, last week, has it been years? Has it been a lifetime? Dear people of God, one of the things the church needs is an understanding of the fear of God in our lives. A fear of God. We get so comfortable in our lives. We get comfortable in the warmness of our homes. We get comfortable in the, warm, in the confidence of our jobs. We get comfortable in, in the money we have in our accounts. We get comfortable when our health is doing so well. And we grow, to, we grow dependent on ourselves and not recognize that we had somewhere along the line quit fearing God. You see, our relationship with God determines our relationship to everything else. Our relationship with God determines our relationship with everything else, including wisdom and God's instruction. And right now, if there was any 
semblance of wisdom in our lives. You know what we're doing? We're going, teach me, teach me, give me more wisdom. Give me more. Let me know. I want to know more. I want to grow in wisdom. I want to grow in the knowledge of God. Give me more. Give me more. And foolishness is saying, what's for lunch? Foolishness is not worried about God's worth. They're not worried about what God has to say. That's what it says here in Proverbs chapter 1. Look at the second part. It says, fools despise wisdom and knowledge or instruction. The word despise there literally means to hold in contempt, to belittle, to ridicule. They treat wisdom and understanding as worthless. It's not a value. It's a very little value. They despise it. It's kind of like Esau when he came back and Jacob had made this big pot of stew and and Esau's going, going, hey, give me a bowl. And Jacob says, For your birthright, birthright, he would get a double portion of inheritance. He would have the right to leave the family. And Esau's like, well, if I can't, if I don't survive, what's my birthright? So he trades his birthright for a bowl of stew. And the text tells us he despised his birthright. See, that's that's what happens when we begin to think that God's instruction, God's wisdom is of no worth. We trade it for for things that are not of value. We might be training it for a job. We might be trading it for a lifestyle. We might be trading it for the things we possess, but we're counting God's instruction as worthless. Is it the most important thing? In fact, the word fool there, in fact, in Proverbs, there's kind of three kind of predominant words that are used for the term fool. The first word is, is characterized kind of by a dull or closed mind. When this person's often called stubborn, it's used 49 times in Proverbs. Another, another word is kind of refers to one who lacks spiritual perception or understanding. And I think it's used three or four times. And then in the, the passage we have here in First Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, this, this, this fool is characterized as arrogant, flippant kind of mentally dull. They're, they're coarse and they're hardened in their ways. They're not ready to hear of instruction. And dear people of God, God forbid, God forbid that God's people would grow to a place that their hearts would become arrogant and prideful and hardened to the ways of God that they would consider them, that they would consider God's instruction of little worth. They would hold it in contempt. You see right here, even in Proverbs 1, 7, you see what you see what the psalmist is doing and the Holy Spirit is teaching us? There's two paths again. There's the person who humbly fears God, who has reverence for God, who wants to know God's ways and God's instructions, and he submits to his will and he submits to his directions. And the other is the person who is arrogantly refusing to fear God, and therefore they hold Wisdom and God's instructions with contempt as worthless. And when we talk about these paths, which way are we going? Where are you, where are you in your life? Is the instruction of God precious as we sang before this morning? Is it everything for you in life? Or is it something that sits there and you pull it out once in a while? Do you dwell on some of the, 
the messages that God has and, and his word that you would incorporate it in your, in your daily life, that you would acknowledge God in all of your ways and all of your dealings, that when you're dealing with someone at work, you're dealing with someone in your family, you're dealing with a neighbor, you're dealing with people, you're doing it in a way that understands what God's instruction is for us. Because we're listening to him. Because we value and we want to know wisdom. That's fear of the Lord. As we, as we think of the fear of the Lord, why is it so valuable? Why is it so vital for our lives? Well, one, it's, this is where wisdom begins. When we talk about wisdom and we want to see how we're to apply knowledge and how we're to apply it correctly, we need his wisdom. We need his knowledge. In fact, in Proverbs Chapter 9, verse 10, I've referred to it. <clears throat> Me and technology. Yeah, there we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is where knowledge begins. This is where wisdom begins. Some people think they have wisdom, but when we think of Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, and Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, it's telling us right now that without the fear of the Lord, what, what people really are doing is they're despising the instruction of God, even though they have mounds and mounds and mounds of knowledge in their heads. Because when we have the wisdom of God, when we have a fear of the Lord, we bring God into the equation. We see it from God's perspective. And if we don't bring God, the creator, into that perspective, how can we understand the things that are about us? How can we put into perspective knowledge and understanding without the fear of the Lord, without understanding who he is? How do we incorporate him into our lives if we don't have a fear of the Lord? We're not gonna bring him into the middle of our lives if we don't have a fear of him. We're gonna live our lives for ourselves. We're gonna determine our own path in our own way. And what we need is a good, healthy fear of the Lord. Wisdom is seeing that. If you, remove, if you remove the fear of the Lord, then you remove wisdom. If you remove wisdom, you remove God's point of view. If you remove God's point of view, you're done. You wonder why the church gets so weak sometimes? Because when you remove the fear of the Lord, God's people quit listening to him. Are you listening to God? Is, is what God has to say to you, his instruction, his wisdom, is it so valuable? Last week we talked about the worth of wisdom. It's, it's, it's wisdom's gain is greater than gold. It's greater than silver. It's greater than jewels. Is God's instruction, is God's wisdom, is it of great value to you? We spend our time pursuing gold and silver But do we pursue God's wisdom? Do we pursue him in the way? You remove the fear of the Lord from the church and you have the country club of nothingness. Dear people of God, we have to be a people who fear our God, who have a reverence, who have an awe for who he is, that we understand that when we approach him, we are approaching the almighty God, the holy one, and there is none like him, none who has shown more compassion or grace and mercy. You see, 
It drives us to love. It drives us to adoration because we begin to know who he is. And we begin to understand how that relates into our lives. Why is the fear of the Lord so vital for our lives? Not only does wisdom begin here, but because life is found in the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 14. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 24, it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. What this is telling us is that, is that the fear of the Lord is like a fountain. It's bubbling up. And it's bubbling up life. That when we understand God and, his, and we have a respect for him, it brings us life. And also it tells us when Jesus was in John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus said something like this. He said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. God gives life. Through his son, Jesus Christ, God gives us life. And when we begin to understand who he is and the holiness of our God and the majestic, majestic, uh, that our God's a majestic God, that there's no one like him, and that his God, this God, in all of his glory and his power and his strength, demonstrated to us love and compassion in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that through him we might live, that we would have life, because it's in the fear of God. It's in God that we have life. And when we understand that, we understand where our life comes from, that he is the essence of life. In Proverbs Chapter 19, verse 23. There you go. <laughs> All right, there it goes. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by Harm. In other words, the fear of God leads us to life. It leads us to satisfaction. And then what must we fear? What can we fear? Because our lives are God's. We put our lives in the hands of God. Do you think when David went out to face Goliath and he wasn't afraid? I'm sure there was human fear, definitely. But human fear runs when one understands that our life is in God's hands. When when the three Hebrew children did not bow to a foreign God, they stood, though everyone around them bowed. I'm sure there was human fear, but it fled in the midst of understanding who their God is. Where Daniel facing the lion's den. Where Stephen, as they were throwing stones and his life was escaping him, he still was praying, God, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You think he had an understanding of who God is? A fear of the Lord? Dear people of God, we have to become a people who fear our God and we have a respect, we have a, we have a reverence for him. And we rest that he has our steps and the breath that we have. Another reason for the fear of the Lord, why it's so val valuable to us, is blessing is found in the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs 15, <laughs> verse 
Proverbs 15, verses 16 and 17. It says, better is a little with, fe- with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where there's love, where love is than a fattened calf and hatred with it. I love this because it's telling us that there's better to be, to have a little than with the fear of the Lord than having great amount of things. I, I remember in this little town I pastored, there was a man in our community and he was, at the end of his life, cancer had gotten a hold of him. But man, he loved God. And I can remember going to visit him literally just hours before he passed. And I'll never forget as I went in there to, to spend time with him and to pray with him. And he kind of leaned in and he looked at me and he just got a big old smile on his face. And he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet Jesus. Everything else in his whole life didn't matter. He was just ready to preach Jesus. One of the most enjoyable funerals I ever did. The family, they understood what was going on. They said, Greg, preach the gospel like you've never preached it before. There's gonna be a lot of people there that aren't gonna know Jesus. It was a year or two later, what was ironic to me was the wealthiest man in that community where everybody looked up to him. Cancer had gotten a hold of him too. I went to visit him in the hospital and there was, there was fear, there was trembling, there was unrest, there was insecurity, and all that money and all those things that he had attained meant nothing in that moment. It meant nothing. We pursue so many things. In fact, when we breathe our last breath, what is really gonna matter? Many of the things you're pursuing right now in your life won't matter in that day. It won't. What will matter is do you know God? Do you know him through his son, Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in him? Are you resting in Jesus? Because at that point, nothing else, nothing else will matter. It won't matter at all. You know, wisdom's calling to us. It's telling us it's not too late. We can begin to build in our lives the instruction of God. We can begin to to fear him and and to have a reverence for him like we're supposed to. In Proverbs 22, verse four, it says, it says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Isn't that awesome? That honor, riches, and life are found in the fear of the Lord. So many people pursue so many other things, but it's God that we find those things in. Why is the fear of the Lord so vital in our lives? Because also fear of the Lord rejects evil. Proverbs verse eight, or chapter eight, verse 13 tells us this. It says in Proverbs eight thirteen. 13, ah, let me get it up here. Proverbs verse, chapter eight, verse 13, it says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God is telling us here, in fact, if you notice, he says, he says he hates pride, he hates arrogance, he hates the way of evil, he hates perverted speech. And the more that I understand God and the more I understand and have a reverence for him, a healthy fear of my God in my life, the more and more I realize how I have begun to dislike and hate sin, especially in my own life. 
Then I begin to realize the things it does in my life and how it tears me down, how it causes my eyes to drift away from the one I love, my God and my creator. How it begins to harden my heart to the things of God's instructions. I begin to despise that. I despise evil. And the fear of the Lord teaches that. It teaches us how to reject and and to turn from evil. You see, the fear of the Lord and the ways of evil are never roommates. They do not get along. Understand that. Understand that. They do not get along. It's why Jesus had to come. It's why he had to conquer sin and death in order to give us life. And as we begin to incorporate an understanding of the fear of the Lord in our lives, we begin to understand that. We begin to reject evil. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 6. says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. How do we, how do we begin to, to understand that I have an understanding of the fear of the Lord? It, it, you'll, you'll know by your direct response to sin in your own life. You begin to understand why God hates it, why he, he despises it. You understand the importance of his fear. John Calvin said this. John Calvin said, all wickedness flows from a disregard of God. Listen to that. All wickedness flows from a disregard of God since the fear of the Lord is the bridle by which our wickedness is held in check. Its removal frees us to indulge in every kind of immoral conduct. You take God and the fear of the Lord out of your life Evil will reign. All hell will break loose. Evil will take control. You see, it's by the fear of the Lord I begin to understand what is evil and what is not. We live in a day where, there, where our culture is changing and calling what's wrong right and what's right wrong. How do I know the difference? Because I understand who my God is. I have a reverence for him. I have a respect for him. I understand and pursue his instruction. I pursue his wisdom. And as I incorporate his wisdom, as I incorporate his instruction in my life, I understand evil and what it is in life. Finally, why is the fear of the Lord so vital in our life? Because the fear of the Lord strengthens hope. It strengthens hope. In Proverbs 27, verses 17 in 18, it says this, let not your heart envy sinners. That's, a, that's an important thing to remember, dear people of God. We should not envy sinners. It says, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and listen to this, and your hope will not be cut off. Your hope will not be cut off. Look at that. Did you notice it? Your hope will not be cut off. The fear of the Lord strengthens our hope because we have a future in him. Our future is not wrapped up in this world and the possessions that we hold. Our future is resting in who God is. It's resting in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Why? Because he is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. He is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is the one who my hope is in. Praise God. I want to know him. I want to have a reverence for him because he is the Almighty, and in him is my hope and my strength. Amen?
He is my God. You see, the hope that comes from a fear of the Lord is greater than our disappointments. It's stronger than our sin. It is not diminished by our weaknesses because our hope is in him. The more we fear the Lord, the more we see the future we have in him. In him, in Christ. The more we are strengthened, the more we find our hope in Jesus Christ. Church, people of God, I am more convinced today standing in front of you that what the church needs is a real good healthy dose of a fear of God. An awe of who he is, an understanding of his majesty and of his holiness, a reverence, a deep respect towards him that causes it, it moves us to worship, it moves us to fall on our faces because how could we, how could an almighty God be so mindful of us? And yet he is. And he picks us up by the very grace that he's demonstrated in the person of his son. He picks us up and he calls us his own. Oh, the majesty and the love and the grace of our God. It should cause us to be fallen on our faces in total adoration, in total love towards him. God forbid the coldness that sometimes we have in the routines of our Christianity. That we go through the motions and somehow think that we're righteous and we're holy. We're righteous and holy because of God. Because of what he has done in his son Jesus Christ. Oh, praise God. Our holy, holy God, to him be the glory. Let us not stand in pride and in arrogance. Let us humble ourselves before the mighty hand of our God and call him our God, our Lord, and we're his people. Oh, dear church, dear people of God, we need a respect and a reverence for our God that breaks us down with contrite hearts and humble hearts walking in the strength and the wisdom and the instruction of our God. Then, then when we have an understanding of the fear of God in our lives, then we understand life. Then we bring God into the equations of, of life and the events that are going on. Then we understand what he's doing. And so many times we fight to hang on for our own way of living, we're our own traditions, we're our own ways. And we try to put the, God, dear people of God, let us understand and see him. And let us be a people that bow humbly before him, before the most holy one, before the God we serve. Amen? Amen. I went a little long today, I guess. I figured you all wrapped up in quilts and fires and all warm. So I pray that God spoke to you today. I pray you heard what God is saying to your hearts. I pray that in a willingness of submission, you yield yourself and you pursue, you pursue an almighty God, his instructions and his ways. Let's pray. Father God, Father, I trust your spirit to go out among all of your people, all those who are hearing today, and that Father, your spirit would move within their hearts. Let not foolishness despise you, Father. Let not foolishness consider you of not of worth. 
but that, Father, your spirit would move and draw your people, Father, to yourself and a love and a thirst to hear what you have to say, to your instruction, to your wisdom. And that, Father, in us you would develop even a greater understanding of the fear of our God, of who you are. Oh, God, you are holy. You are full of majesty. Father, you're all powerful. There is none like you. Your demonstration of love and grace and mercy is beyond what we can comprehend. Oh God, we are not worthy, yet you call us your own. And Father, you lift us up and made us into the righteousness of your son, whereby you call us your own. Oh Father, work in our hearts, draw us to yourself. Let us be a people with clean hands and pure hearts. Let us be, Father God, a people who thirst after you in all of our ways. In Jesus' name, amen.